This episode is brought to you by Broad Street Publishing. And he listened to my story and he says, yep, you have a Joseph calling us and for sure you've probably made some mistakes, but you need to realize the call is bigger than the mistakes you've made. Author, speaker, president of Marketplace Leaders, Oz Hildman joins us on this episode. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. This is Larry Gates and I'm with Armin Asadi. And we have a great episode in store for you today, don't we, Armin? That's right. Someone very exciting that I think a lot of people know and it's time that they get to even know him on a deeper level if you haven't spent a lot of time with this gentleman. That's right. This is a guy who you may know in your if you're in the workplace as a believer, mm-hmm. you may have heard the name Oz Hillman because he has a newsletter that goes out to hundreds of thousands of people all across the world called TGIF Today God is First. It's a daily email devotional. You want to be sure to pick that up, and there'll be a link at the end of the show for you to do that. But he is the author of 18 books, including the latest book, The Joseph Calling, Six Stages to Discover, Navigate, and Fulfill Your Purpose. He is the president of Marketplace Leaders. He has been featured on CNBC, NBC, LA Times, New York Times, and any other media, including the Bold Idea podcast. That's right, the biggest of all media. (laughs) (laughs) So without further ado. Oz Hillman, welcome to the program. Larry, it's good to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Oh, so glad you can be a part of uh, this episode. In the introduction, I mentioned that you are the president of Marketplace Leaders. Talk about that. What is Marketplace Leaders all about? Well, Marketplace Leaders was birthed around 1994, and the purpose was to help men and women see their work as a ministry and a calling. So often I found that many people in the workplace consider themselves second-class spiritual citizens and feel like they get judged for being out there making a living. And what we saw was a great need to encourage men and women to really see their work as a holy calling and to understand Colossians 3.23 that says, whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. It's the Lord Christ you are serving. And so that was the basis of it. But I got launched into it through a very unusual circumstance. (laughs) Well, what was that? Well, I had uh, had an ad agency for 12 years, and we had done very well and had clients like American Express and Steinway Pianos and Parisian department stores and some carpet companies and major Christian publishers. But all of a sudden, things happened very quickly where my investment manager came to me and said, The half million dollars that we managed for you is gone because of a Bernie Madoff situation. And my wife Mm -hmm. came in and said she wanted to separate within a few weeks. And my second largest account said, we're firing you and and not paying the $140,000 bill we owe you. And a few other things happened. (laughs) So all of a sudden, life went from one place to a whole nother place that ushered me into a seven-year season of adversity. <laughs> oh, did you did you have clay pottery at this point in time where you're scraping yourself? <laughs> I mean, this sounds very Jobian. Well, it was very Jobian. And, you know, most people say, you know, the psychologists say it only takes one of those events to cause people to make drastic actions in their life. And I had all three of them going on at the same time. And I, you know, as a Christian for over 25 years, I was wondering where in the world God was in all of that. 
Oh, for sure. Now you were way off the charts in that Ray Holmes stress test, I think. <laughs> yeah. So absolutely. where was God in all that? What was your thinking when all this was happening and transpiring? I'm, I'm, I'm trusting that you were a believer at that time working in the marketplace as an advertising executive committed yeah. to following Christ. All yep. this stuff hits you over what sounded like a short period of time. I'm not exactly sure what the time frame was. Yeah, it was over three months. Okay, over a three-month period of time, all this stuff is happening to you. <laughs> Very Jobian, right? So what was going on in your mind as you are processing all this in terms of your relationship with God at the time? Well, I was trying to manage my finances that were really getting very difficult. God got me down to almost zero, and I didn't go bankrupt, but I just basically lost everything, you know, but I had still had some property, still had some things, that, but I was cash poor. And for the next two years, I was living in a lot of shame and a lot of questions about the love of God and about, you know, who I was as a man and why I made decisions that I made or why why my decisions turned out the way they did. And so it was two years into my journey that someone sent me an audio tape by a man named Gunnar Olsen from Sweden, who was the founder of the International Christian Chamber of Commerce. And on the tape, it said God was raising up Joseph's all over the world. And it's often signified by them going through extraordinary adversity in their business and personal life. Well, that was like lightning for me. I, I, I said, gosh, I need to talk to that man. And so I found out that he was going to be in Washington in two months. And I made arrangements to go out and fly and meet him. And he was so gracious to actually meet me the very night of a 75-nation conference he was hosting. And he listened to my story, and he says, yep, you have a Joseph calling us. And uh, he pulled out a napkin. He says, here's where you are, and here's the next phase of your journey. It's a marketplace call. And for sure, you've probably made some mistakes, but you need to realize the call is bigger than the mistakes you've made. And so from that standpoint, I walked in that day a victim to my circumstance, but I walked out the door that day feeling like I had an understanding of a process and a calling that was actually on my life. And so seven years later, I got restored from my finances. God birthed what I'm doing today in a ministry called Marketplace Leaders, began writing a daily devotional called TodayGodIsFirst.com that goes to 175,000 people a day in 104 countries, and 18 books later, and 26 countries later, here I am. <laughs> well, quite quite a journey. Now, I know we're going to talk about your book here in a little bit, but in that book you wrote, I have concluded that most of us couldn't enter the larger story of our lives without the help of a significant disruption. Was what you just described what you had in mind when you wrote those words? That's what I have realized in my own life and also in the people that I write about, they all had some type of disruption. I call it the recruitment stage of the six stages that are talked about in the book. But when you look at Joseph, he had a major disruption when he was thrown into the pit. You know, life for 13 years was was hell on earth for him. And, you know, the Apostle Paul was struck blind. You know, that was his usher into his larger story. Martin Luther, the same thing. He was ushered in when he put those theses on the door. You know, life really changed, but it ushered in man to a larger story. So apart from the one that you've just described to us, have there been other kind of significant turning points for you where you felt like God has given you a, a greater sense of your purpose, your larger purpose? 
Absolutely. The whole journey has been part of that. And I've seen where he has used my adversities to help many other leaders, many other people who struggle with, just like I was struggling to understand, why am I going through this? And so that's really been part of my journey is understanding God's processes for why we go through the things we go through. And it's been just a journey for me. And in the midst of that was also the awareness of God doing something in the marketplace among men and women who have sought to often segment their lives from their faith life. And so in the 90s, we really saw a birthing of an awareness. And even Billy Graham and others said, you know, I believe the next great move of God is going to be through believers in the workplace. I did joint conferences with the Billy Graham organization and many other leaders that began to recognize God's move in this arena. Yeah, well, you arguably are one of the the leaders in the marketplace ministry. I've, I've followed your works for a while now because you've written, like you said, 18 books. And I can certainly identify with some of the dilemma that you've described, certainly have seen it, where oftentimes those of us who are in the marketplace can can either feel like we're not contributing in the way or fulfilling the calling that we that we were given because it's not quote-unquote professional Christian ministry, and it's not somehow engaged full-time in the gospel. Yet we know that that's not true if you see the marketplace as your mission field. Well, that's exactly right. And I like what another Oss wrote in the book, The Call. Oss Guinness wrote a book by that title. And in that book, he says, you know, it was back in 300 AD, something was introduced to the church called the Catholic distortion. And what that was is that it was a message that said, you know, one position is more spiritual than the other, and the priest position is higher than the non-priest and the, the secular person. And then 1,200 years later, he cites the Protestant distortion where we began to say, well, you know, calling, you know, our work is just a place to collect a check rather than an actual calling. And so those two things have contributed to making our work seem like it's we're a second-class citizen spiritually. In fact, when you go to a church, you know, it's not uncommon that men and women are looked upon for the money they make, but when the building program comes along, they they really appreciate that about them. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. so it's this dichotomy that's in our culture that's often unspoken, but it's there. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, too, that there are real trappings in the marketplace, as there is in ministry, where you can lose sight of God equally in both settings, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, one of the greatest hindrances for an entrepreneur, because Satan always attacks us in the place of our inheritance, you know. And so for for marketplace entrepreneurs, their inheritance is being able to do deals and being able to, you know, create wealth and and really make impact. But if the devil gets inside of that, he'll turn them into a consumptive lifestyle and allow the pleasures of life to get in the midst of that. And it'll take them off the course of God intended blessing. You know, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 8.18 that he gives us the ability to create wealth to establish his kingdom. And so we need to understand that's why he gifts us these things and gives us the abilities that he gives us. Yeah. Now, your new book is coming out on May 16th. By the time this episode airs, it will already have been out. 
but it's called The Joseph Calling. What is it all about? Well, I've been teaching this message for many years, you know, ever since I met Gunnar Olson, I've been teaching it. But it wasn't until the last few years that I began connecting the whole six stages of a call to the Joseph process. And so when I looked at Joseph, I saw six stages he went through. And when I looked at the life of Moses and the life of Paul and, you know, many of the disciples, I saw these six stages show up in their lives as well. And they were clearly in my life. And so the book is about encouragement for people who don't understand their calling, but also are struggling with adversity in their life that they can't make sense of adversity and how to navigate that. And there's some case studies of modern day people who've walked through that path as well. What are those six stages that you're referring to? I'm not going to tell you. Oh. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Buy the book. <laughs> yeah, the first stage is recruitment. As I mentioned, you know, usually there's some type of crisis event that often ushers us into that larger story. The second stage is character development. Joseph went through 13 years of character development. David went through character development when he had to flee Saul's sword. Mm -hmm. And many of the characters in the Bible, they had that character development phase. The third stage is isolation. So often God isolates the leader and he turns our messes into messages and messengers. David was in the cave of Adalim and he wrote three of the Psalms while he was in the cave of Adalim. You look at John on the island of Patmos, you look at Pilgrim's Progress, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. he was in prison for 12 years when he wrote that book. Jeremiah was often imprisoned and put places where he wrote. So this was an example of so often God isolates us. And I was in an isolated period when I began to write the devotional, TGI Today God is First. The next stage is the cross. And what I found was in almost every case, leaders had some type of betrayal. Of course, Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. Jesus was betrayed by his own people. And you know, David was betrayed by his own son. And so you, you have a, you know, a lot of these situations and Joseph thrown in the pit like that. And so what I discovered was that, you know, when Jesus said that we're to wash the feet of Judas, it's like God's graduate level test for all leaders. And he wants to see if we're willing to forgive those who've been the source of pain in our life, just like he did. Mm -hmm. And so then the fifth stage is problem solving, mm -hmm. problem solving. And what I began to notice was that Jesus was a great problem solver. Every time somebody came into his presence, he usually solved a problem. When he first met Peter, he solved this fishing problem when the disciples needed to feed 5,000 people, he solved that problem. Lazarus was brought back from the dead. People were healed. So Jesus's influence grew by problem solving. And what I see for Christian leaders is that we gain influence in culture when we can be problem solvers in the culture. Culture doesn't care who solves the problem. They just want their problem to be solved. Mm -hmm. And if we can solve their problem, you know, through the power of Christ, we'll have influence in that life and they'll want what we have. Mm. So number six 
is networks. And I saw that you've got the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as a small network, Jesus and the Twelve, Daniel and his three friends, even William Wilberforce in England who had like 18 friends, they called them the the Clapham Group, and they they had over 69 world-changing initiatives because of walking together and leveraging their resources and influence together. And so I see in, you know, being part of a network as being part of that process that, you know, God does in the life of the leader. So those six stages I find in almost every situation. Now, is everybody a Joseph? Nope, not everybody's a Joseph. I believe a Joseph is one who has gone through extraordinary adversity, so much so that they're known um, by that adversity. When you speak their name, you think of their adversity. And I would say that Joseph is certainly a biblical character. When we say his name, you know, we know of his adversity. And so everybody will go through adversity, but not everybody goes through what I call extraordinary adversity. Now, when you say adversity, are you meaning all kinds of adversity, even if it's self-inflicted? Yes, I think so. You I mean, know, certainly David times, would certainly David might fall into that category. In the first part of his life, that would be true. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of you know, we were talking before we were on air, and my I've been remarried one year, and God led me to a woman that was the most unlikely person for me to marry, but she was abused growing up sexually abused by her own family father and and uh, other men and it led her into a 35-year cocaine addiction Mm. that landed her in prison for 18 months as a result of that she started a prison ministry inside the prison and now has a prison ministry today so god has used that but you could say well she did that herself well did she do it herself She did it in response to the pain that was caused in her life because she was rejected and betrayed by people who should have cared for her. So in many ways, she's a Josephine, you know, Mm -hmm. and God is using that adversity, whether it was inflicted, you know, from herself or others did it to her. God's now redeeming that. And that could be probably the case for many people. This is the Bold Idea Podcast. Hi, I'm Brian Simmons. I'm the lead translator for the Passion Translation. As a missionary and linguist, it's been my privilege to handle the Word of God in the original manuscripts, and I'm delighted to bring it to you now from the Aramaic, Greek, and Hebrew text in a passionate, emotive, powerful format that will bring life to your reading of the Word of God. Download a free copy of the Book of John at thepassiontranslation.com. Yeah, now, these stages that you describe, are they sequential, or are they, they overlap, or how do they work? They tend to be, but not always. They tend to be, but not always, because you, for sure you usually see the, the recruitment uh, phase of a, a crisis, usually that's on the front end. Usually the character development often follows that. I do find that the the, cro- the cross phase of betrayal is usually sometime 
it, and it could have been part of the crisis, you know, that mm-hmm. that led them into the larger story. So that's not uh, that's not very consistent on that one. So and then the last two usually are at the end of your process. And it's amazing how many people actually go through seven years. <laughs> I just I, I'm amazed how many people I've run into when they hear my story. They say, yep, it was seven years for me. <laughs> In your book, you write, some things are only discovered by the desperate soul. Describe what you mean by that. Well, sometimes, you know, we don't seek God until there's enough pain in our life. I have a friend who says the the pain to remain the same must exceed the pain to change. In other words, uh, for a lot of us, especially in the marketplace where we're trained to overcome, we're, we're trained to gut it out. A lot of times there has to be enough pain to motivate us to find root causes of things that God's trying to correct in our life. And that was true of me too. You know, God, I didn't know some of the things I needed to change, but he used that time to help me understand there were some wounds in my life that I needed to revisit and learn about so that I could go on and really be the man and leader he wants me to be. Do you believe that a lot of the wounds that we have stand in the way of our call? Absolutely. Yeah, they certainly do. And, you know, a lot of us develop what we call core beliefs as a result of childhood wounds. Let's say that you got raised with a mother who shamed you all the time and said, oh, you're never going to amount to anything. And you hear those kinds of words growing up. Well, you're going to adopt a core belief that that you believe inside that says, I'm never going to amount to anything. And so you go through life like that. And unless there's something that changes that, and a lot of times that core belief is going to cause you to enter a crisis because of the decisions you make from that woundedness. And we talk a lot about that in the book, and I do a lot of teaching on that in my workshops. You know, I'm, I'm curious if we could pull the thread on that a little bit, given the seven years journey that you went through in that whole <laughs> Jopian experience that you had. What were some of the misbeliefs, those core misbeliefs that maybe were echoing in your head during that time that you had to ferret out and, and replace with truth? Oh, there were several of them. But what I discovered, I had a man that came in my life. He was a head of a retreat center, a former Vietnam helicopter pilot. And I used to kid that this guy was really hard to be around because he could smell sin from a mile away, and I was his assignment. <laughs> but I needed a guy like that who, who could be tough with me. He said to me one day, you know, Oss, there's nothing wrong with you. You just have a, a stronghold of insecurity and fear in your life that makes you control people and circumstances. Mm. And I said, what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> and, and so he began to help me understand root beliefs and strongholds, as is talked about in Corinthians and in the Bible. And he says, yep, that's what you got. In fact, you probably have that in your sisters and your mother, too. In fact, I'd almost bet you anything it's there in them, too, because it's a generational thing that you have. And I said, well, you can't prove that. And he says, well, I might be able to. And he says, here, take this sheet. And it had a listing of all these strongholds and a way to rank them from one to ten. I said, take this, give this to your family, your sisters and your mom, and and give it back to me, and let's see what it shows. Well, it showed 
the highest ranking strongholds was insecurity and fear, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So it was a generational thing. And so as a result of that, by renouncing that and him helping me to understand the truth, because it says in John eight thirty two that the truth shall make you free. And when you begin to walk in the truth of what you've been and what God says you are, then things begin to come into alignment with your identity. One of the things that was also a part of that was my parents were not real intimate people. They didn't give a lot of hugs, and they weren't very verbal. And so I found that the way I gained love as a child was performing well in sports. And so I did every time I performed well in sports, I got an attaboy. And so that was an addiction for me as I got older. And so I was very good at, at sports and I became a professional golfer. I could have played college basketball and a number of things. But as I got older, I really I realized that I had a performance based life and that I related to myself and others based on my performance. And so God had to deal with that by allowing performance to to fail. Certainly, that was one of the crises of my business, why it was so hard for me in the beginning, because I built my identity around that performance. And so I lived as a poser mm-hmm. in the marketplace of what people thought I should be versus who I really was in Christ. And and God brought that out as part mm-hmm. of your experience, used that right. experience to bring that out. I feel like there's a lot of people in the business world that are just performance driven because based on performance, it's the only way you know you're doing something right or wrong. How do you break that cycle if you're in the business world? Well, for me, I had become a workaholic. And so I had to also look at the root of workaholism, which was fear and fear of loss, fear of not having enough. And so once I realized the truth of who I was and what I was doing, I had to make a change in my behavior. And one of those changes was working 40 hours a week instead of 50 to 60 hours a week. It was a particular time in my life that I didn't have a lot of needs at home because of my situation. And so I just worked. And so I made a conscious decision to change that behavior. And by changing that behavior, what I was saying is, you know, this doesn't all depend on me. It depends on you, God and you are my source, you do call me to work hard, but ultimately I'm called to trust you as my provider. And as I began to do that, and you know, as I lost pretty much my wealth, I was forced into a greater understanding of God, my provider, that I'd never been forced to do before. If you, Sorry, go, if you go all the way back to this calamitic time in your life, you couldn't probably have imagined being where you are today back then, I'm guessing. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, certainly I wouldn't have thought, you know, in my early stages of my life, I'm going to grow up to be a, a writer and a speaker and a, go to 26 countries because basically I barely got out of English class, <laughs> made C minuses, and I was extremely introverted. I never liked to get up in public. And so I am one of those perfect examples that God turns the foolishness into his purposes and uses the weak things to accomplish his purpose. Yeah. And I noticed on your website, your tagline is helping you fulfill God's calling. I'm just curious about how your perception of God's calling in your life has changed over the years. 
Well, years ago, I had a board member from South Africa, and she said to me one day, Oz, I think you know your gifts and your talents, but I don't think you know why God made you, why he brought you on the earth. Mm. And I said, can you know that? And she says, I think you can get pretty close to knowing that. And so she took me through a little process that only took about two hours. And what came out of that process was a statement that said, God made Oz Hillman to be an articulator and shepherd of foundational ideas that lead to transformation. Now, that statement was true of me before I ever became a Christian. As a golf pro, I could articulate and shepherd you through your golf game and help you become a better golfer. As an ad agency owner, I could identify and articulate and shepherd you through your business to transform your business by understanding the weaknesses of your business. And now today, that statement is true of me as I teach and help men and women in the marketplace articulate and shepherd them through a process of transformation. What's your next bold idea then? What Fast forward here another five or ten years. What, what does that look like? Well, that's a really good question that I'm asking God about because <laughs> with this new marriage with Pamela, who has a prison ministry while I have my ministry here, and we're doing a few things together, and I'm actually writing her, her story right now. It's about... 70% done, and there's probably going to be a movie about her life. And so we're trying to navigate what that looks like. We do have an international trip coming up in a few months that we're going on together, and she'll talk from her perspective. I'll talk from mine. And so we're not sure where all that's leading. I just know the core of what I do will continue to do that. Well, what advice would you give our listeners that might just be identifying with this Joseph calling in their life, but that maybe they've, they sense like Joseph did that they're, they're, they're made for something else, a a higher calling than their current circumstances seem to suggest. What encouragement would you give them? Well, that's exactly what I do in the book. The first two chapters of the book deal with understanding your purpose. And I, I articulate the actual process I went through to discover my purpose. And then we get into more of the understanding of the process of the journey, the adversity, the reasons we go through adversity. So, you know, if I'd have had the book that I wrote back in 1994, it would have been a a tremendous godsend to me. Mm. I have some wonderful stories in the book about how people found me on the internet I had one lady who said, God said, you have a Joseph, Josephine calling on your life. She looked up Joseph calling on the Internet and found my name, called me, and I explained everything to her, and it like transformed her life. <laughs> mm-hmm. I always think that the best books we write are the ones we write to our former selves. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Hey, so how can our listeners uh, reach you if they want to learn more? Well, they can go to our website at todaygodisfirst.com. That's where I'd encourage you to go. And also, thejosephcalling.com allows them to download the first chapter of the book free. That's at thejosephcalling.com, and they can get the first chapter free. They can also get a 12-week Bible study that we created for the book free as an e-book. And so that'd be a great starting place for them. Yeah, terrific. And I'll have the links to all those resources in our show notes as well. 
Oz, thank you for being on the program today. It was great talking to you and hearing your story, a little bit of the background of what God has been doing in your life to bring you to where you are today. Well, thank you. Allow me to uh, share my story, and it's always a pleasure. Yeah, well, you're welcome, and glad you're a part of it. God bless. Well, Armin, Oz Hillman, what do you think? I like the guy. I think we should have him on again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I could spend a lot of time listening to him just because he is someone that's gone through enough pain, adversity, challenges in such dramatic fashion that all his success in the world doesn't make someone as appealing as someone who's gone through so much pain to get that success. You know, like it's, it's, it's talking to someone that you know can empathize with you. You're talking to someone you know won't judge you or condemn you. It's someone that can, from his own experiences, carry you through your adversity. <laughs> this it was it was a little bit of a difficult episode for me in the in that there were so many threads I wanted to pull. Yeah, <laughs> you know because he he describes all this stuff that was happening to him, and yet I know something of the of the ministry that he has and just the whole workplace thing. And there's so many different issues. To, so you were absolutely right. We're going to probably have to get him on the program again to talk about <laughs> some of the challenges that I think we have in the workplace would be really, really good. And, and clearly some of the things that he's doing and the ideas that he's had, but right. this, you know, this conversation was really largely around his, his new book that's coming out and, and rightly so it's a, it's a great book from what I can tell. Yeah. I've had a chance to skim it. And it looks like there's some really good things here in the process that he goes through. Now, the one thing that I didn't think about or haven't spent much time thinking about, I just like the way he put it, that Jesus was a problem solver. And I guess I never really mm-hmm. thought about Jesus as a, as a problem solver. I mean, sure. clearly he solved the problem of sin. Yeah. I mean, you know, kind of at an epic level. Right. Yeah. But I don't know why that didn't sink into me before right. this. You know, it was kind of a novel thought for me. And when he talked about taking that as our mission that when we act and help people identify the pain in their life and help them solve that as a problem, hmm. whatever that pain is, that, that we gain influence. Right. And I think he's absolutely right on that. I saw your eyes kind of light up throughout the interview process. What, what were some of your main takeaways through this? Well, that was a, that was kind of the one. I mean, it's kind of like this very simple, you know, when we stop focusing on our own circumstances and we help look at what are some of the challenges that other people have, the adversity that everybody really is going through to one degree or another, and and find ways to solve their pain, then we become Jesus to them. And really, right. that that's just such a simple thing. But he said something, too, that I, I wrote down. I, I loved how he said it. He said, the call in your life is bigger than your circumstances. Right. And that's just a really helpful reminder because especially when you're in a challenging time, when you're in a troubling time, when you're in that Mm -hmm. uh, Jobian time, when things go bad, (laughs) now maybe they're not quite as bad as he described, or maybe they're even worse than he described. But any thing that creates that kind of challenge in your life, it's almost like the side view mirror that says, you know, objects may appear larger than they are. You is know, that a meatloaf song. And, <laughs> well, it, it, it is a line from meatloaf. I think we used in the reinventure me podcast, but no, I mean, it is one of those things where you, you just become overwhelmed yeah. with all of the challenges that you have that you lose perspective. Right. Here's the thing that I think I learned from Oz and he didn't say it this way, but from what I can learn from his life is this is, in the time of adversity, 
the more things go wrong, the more you fall apart, and the more you fall apart, the more hardened you become. You become cynical, you become angry, you're bitter, you blame God, the world, your socks, and whatever else, your dog. You blame everything else. Your dog socks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that that process of becoming hardened almost makes it more of a challenge for God to carry you through that process. And from what I hear from Oz, it's almost like take circumstances in your life that are creating the most challenges, especially if you're a marketplace leader, and instead of becoming hardened, become a wet clay and let God mold you through that and see what the outcome of this process may be. No matter how challenging it gets, no matter how many more things you lose, no matter how much more adversity you get through this process, don't get bitter, don't get angry, don't get hardened, don't reject God, embrace God in that moment because this might be the exact thing that you need to go through for him to take you to that place that he's leading you to. And maybe it's not an easy path, but some of the greatest places in this world that you can visit come with the most challenging routes to get there. Mm -hmm. And some of the people with the greatest calls on their life have the greatest challenges to face to get there because that's the only way God can build you. And if you look at a Navy SEAL, I promise you their boot camp was not the same boot camp <laughs> that our National Guard reserves go through, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to put one up above, above the other, but the intensity know, level. Is yeah. Different. It, mm-hmm. it, and I'm not trying to be an elitist either, but I'm, but I'm saying, Such at an this, elitist. Yeah, I know, gosh, <laughs> but the, the, that is the beauty of what he's saying though. You know, it's, it's, it, it is almost, it's almost hopeful to see that you're going through a challenge, so many challenges as a marketplace leader to think that, Hey, maybe this isn't happening because God wants to destroy you or hates you for some reason. Maybe he's building you for something greater than you've even dreamed of yet. Yeah. And you mentioned his quote in the interview. Some things are only discovered by the desperate soul. I think that's what he's talking about there is that when we reach a certain level of desperation, that's when our eyes in some ways become open to other possibilities. Right. I mean, they can they can shut down altogether. That's hardness that you're describing. Yeah. But it's also the time when we can cry out to God and see God because it's, you know, up until then we've been relying on ourselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, face it, most of us don't really turn to God until something goes wrong in our right. lives. And what I like about what he's describing here in this Joseph calling in the path here is that God's purposes are there all along. Right. When we look at it, not just at the time when we need a desperate solution, but when we look at it and we know and, and can affirm that even in our best times, there's a purpose that may even be outside of our comprehension. Mm. You know, when I asked him, could he imagine during his time of adversity being where he is today? Yeah. And he, he said, no, you know, I couldn't have because, you know, I even looked backwards and I wasn't skilled for this. I wasn't skilled for that. I, you know, I wasn't a writer. I wasn't a speaker. I was an introvert, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And what is he doing? He's doing all those things. <laughs> now, you know, it's easy to say, I wouldn't have imagined it when you're in adversity, you know, like mm-hmm. if, and that's what the question I asked him, you know, when you were going through that, could you imagine where God has you today? Yeah. But think about the day before the adversity began. I yeah. mean, it wouldn't have been any different because he wouldn't have imagined it then either. Right. You know, so whether there was cir- the circumstances of adversity or non-adversity, it suggests to me that God usually has a higher purpose in mind. And isn't that kind of what Ephesians 3.20 says? Beyond all you can ask or imagine. Sure, yeah. And I do think that that's kind of how God works, is yeah. the bold idea that he is birthing within us is beyond what we can imagine now and beyond perhaps what we can ask. But 
that doesn't mean we shouldn't be asking for it, you know, because yeah. James says you have not because you don't ask, right? right? And so maybe we should be asking and expecting, but not necessarily knowing what that full revelation is, as as he just described when I asked what's next for him. He says, well, that's what I'm asking the Lord for. Yeah. And that's the right response, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, that's what I'm trying to find out. I mean, right. he has some ideas, mm-hmm. but God has to give some fertility to that and, and make that clear. That's right. I would say the last thing, I guess, that came to my mind is I, I realize from our time with Oz is that sometimes the last place you find God or the last place that you can engage with God is in your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And the place that you often find God is when the proverbial crap hits the fan. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I feel like we try to avoid the drama or the pain, but just listening to Oz, I'm almost excited for it in the sense that <laughs> like, Bring I, it on. Yeah, like I, I want I want to know where God is leading me, you know. Inside and, you're a Navy SEAL. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe I am, maybe I'm not, but I don't know. But I'm I'm ready to find out, you know, because it's fun to listen to a guy that's gone through so much and know he's making so much so much impact and not just in his own backyard or his own city. He's gone to what did he say, twenty six countries? Yeah, like, and, and well and and his wife. Uh, same story there. Yeah, and that's that that's fresh one year, <laughs> you know, like the, it just continues to compound on itself and expand beyond anything he could have thought or imagined. Exactly right. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. Be sure to get in touch with Oz Hillman. Go look at his resources, grab his book. Mm-hmm. All of those links will be on our show notes at boldideapodcast.com slash 22 because this is episode 22. We'd love for you to leave a comment there or ask us a question or call our show line at 612-568-IDEA, 612-568-4332. Oh, you know what, Armin? I think it would be great. Here, let's put this down. Let's ask our listeners to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, if we can ask anything of you because these episodes are delivered to you for free. We hope you find them inspiring. All we might ask, just this one time, if you haven't done so already, would you leave us a review on iTunes? (laughs) I mean, because that really helps, or Stitcher. And you can go to boldideapodcast.com slash iTunes or boldideapodcast.com slash Stitcher and leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the episodes, and we'd love to hear from you in that way. Anything else, Armin? Nope. I just uh, hope and pray for Oz's ministry to continue because it's been a blessing to me already. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is Larry Gates and Armina Sadi. Until next week, so long. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com. <laughs>